the early 1900s had to guess what was planned by the big, big powerful movements that were uh, rising in a cauldron, basically all competing with each other for a world order. And we don't appreciate that, how huge these big organizations were, many of them revolutionary in nature, funded, of course, by the big banking boys, because that's how you, you get change, and apparently change is good. And they were fomenting revolutions across the world to bring in a standardized world. And lots of ordinary people would join. You know, the masses always join, and they need the masses to, to get the, the new system in thinking it was a good thing. If you were part of the masses, then you may have joined yourself. And I'll go on with that when I come back from this break after these messages. Hi, folks. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, just mentioning there how you don't understand the big, massive, well-coordinated movements of the 1800s that were across the world and all through Europe mainly, uh, and that's where they're fomenting all the revolutions to do with Marxist ideas. There were anarchists tied in there, different branches and so on, but you find common threads through them all, and they, they vaguely had an idea, at least at the bottom ranks, where they were going. The bottom ranks always get a different version from the ones at the top, the ones who are doing the organizing, but it's good enough for the ordinary people. That's how it seems to be down through history. And they helped bring in revolutions across the world. And even then, at that time, they were talking about a world society. Ideas that come out of uh, the minds of various theorists and even scientists and even some churchmen as well. They came forward talking about the neutral uh, globalization of the world under a, some sort of wonderful utopic system. And, uh, of course, we've never had utopia. Utopias don't happen on Earth. It can only be utopic for a few at the top. And, indeed, even the past has been like that. Look at the standard of living the pharaohs and the nobility had thousands of years ago. Incredible. Lots of parties, too. And they drank beer all the time. That was a national drink. But for the ordinary people, of course, it was a different kettle of fish. And they were like a guinea fish at all, in fact. Um, they weren't even allowed to eat the, the, the pharaoh's meat, the, the cattle. They could get occasional fowl here and there, but uh, they weren't allowed to eat beef because you never allowed the public or the people who were working for you, the slave population, to have a high-protein diet and lots of minerals and things that they need because you want to keep them pretty dumb and stupid, but just healthy enough to do their work. So these sciences were understood thousands of years ago. And back to these revolutions. The revolutions never stopped throughout the 20th century even. Indeed, the world wars were all part of it to bring in a global society. You cannot have big players writing books about bringing in a world society and the need to bring in a world society with the whole doctrine of how it would be run you can't have that published before a world war especially when you say in your books you need a world war to make it happen and bingo you get your wish if that was the case we could all make wishes for a future society and it'd all come true like the movies but that's not how it happens it takes big money coordination incredible organization 
to pull off these agendas. And the big players, as I say, published the fact they would need great catastrophes to bring in uh, a world society, including wars, maybe a, a giant conflict. They got World War One, and out of that they got the League of Nations. That was meant to bring the world to, to their knees with the war, and the League of Nations was going to end up as a saviour and distributing the wealth of the world across the world, supposedly, from the, the bankers from these countries to, to their cousins in the other countries. That's how the distribution of wealth goes, you see. And they also needed a Second World War when that wasn't enough. And big players who attended these meetings, attended the Fabian societies, for instance, wrote about it and the need for a World War II to end sovereignty altogether. Many others did as well. In fact, I have books here written during World War II of many of the big players involved in the, in the think tanks of their day and the intelligence services, the national intelligence services of their day as well, printing books during World War II with the whole end of World War II laid out. Some of the books were written in 1942, some 43, but they said they'd eventually carve Berlin up and keep it apart for maybe 70 years if need be, till a whole generation grew up on one side, uh, never knowing the history, the full history of themselves or past, or the full history of the other. And these people worked in the U.S. government that printed these books. Everything's planned ahead. Everything's planned ahead. The whole divvying up of Europe into uh, the communist societies, a bloc, the blocks that ended up being part of the Soviet Union was all decided at the Yalta conferences whole countries were given away and it's a sort of a chessboard not between competitors the chessboard's always been to put those from those who rule to the rest of the population to keep you in the, uh, blinded basically as to where they're going or the whys it's so convoluted often at times you don't know who are the good guys who are the bad guys until you eventually understand they're all the same this is the same club that runs the world conflict remember is how you bring change and when you plan the conflict and you plan uh, the opposition to the conflict you plan the outcome and it's the outcome that you're after all along that's how the world has always been run at least for the last 500 years, I'd say. Maybe longer. The strategies of war, of course, are ancient, going back thousands of years, but the actual techniques of getting masses of people to do something for your bidding, really, for your cause, thinking they're fighting for another cause is pretty spectacular, and, and that really came out into a fine art in the late 1800s. A small minority can dominate whole nations, by promoting freedom and uh, the end of poverty, that kind of stuff. It doesn't take many to do it. They say all the right things, they stir up the obvious injustices, but of course they have a completely different goal at the top than the one they're promoting to the public. Nothing has changed with that. Same with this global warming scam. There's so much documentation out there on the planning of uh, catastrophes and uh, at one time the same people the same people at, and the United Nations was promoting the coming ice age it was in all the big magazines of his day all the scientific reports from experts 
telling us we'd had it, we're going to global freezing. They even talked about scattering thousands and millions of tons of soot on the North Pole to try to warm up the North Pole to stop global freezing. No, no kidding, that was back in the 70s. But, of course, the weather didn't, didn't uh, go along with them, so they had to change it. And it's so beautiful, so Orwellian, how they can change in mid-stride into a completely opposite theory and promote that as though it had always been the theory. That's uh, a technique that Orwell describes in 1984. But they did it. And it's all a con, again, to bring us into, into this great uh, world socialist system where a tiny minority will rule over an entire planet and live like kings and queens have never lived in the past at the highest level of technological achievement and medicine and wealth as you could never imagine and the rest will all be tiered down uh, like a pyramid system a mass of bureaucracy in the middle and all the masses at the bottom run in a communistic fashion of social necessity that means that under social necessity and that the UN has all this stuff in their charters uh, you won't get born unless they need you to serve their system and that's not I'm not kidding about that either but we, we get so used to something it's, it's kind of I've given uh, the instance before where a bunch of wild boars were uh, they, got, they escaped in a, a state in the US and they tried everything to catch these wild boars nothing worked until eventually got one guy in who said I can, well, I can do it but I'll need maybe a month and uh, they said okay and he literally drove his, his half ton truck up with uh, uh, various grains in it and hay and all the rest of it and greens that these things loved and dumped it off he, was, he drove to the horizon basically and watched them at a distance and then he did the same thing the next day and he kept doing this until he could stay closer and closer to them and they got used to seeing him and they lost all fear you see because he was familiar to them just like the UN is familiar to us and we take it all for granted now even though it's a foreign entity in fact it's a strange entity it's not even a country it's a private organization and eventually he started putting stakes around them and dropped the stuff off put the stakes in a few more stakes every day and then fenced them in on the last time just fenced them in leave them an exit the very last day he just put the last part of the fence in and there they were that's how you do it incrementalism and familiarity this thing which seems to represent no danger now hasn't harmed us yet so it's all right you see and that's exactly how the United Nations has been set up. We've all been accustomed to the name, the term, to little bits that came out of the news over many, many years. And we've even given, been given all the charity stuff, like new soldiers handing out chocolates to children, that kind of PR stuff that they've been doing since World War II. Uh, and it's, it's pure PR. But many people think that's what the UN's all about. Soldiers going out to hand food out. No kidding. The PR can be wonderful. When a soldier goes to, off to a country with, in his arm to the teeth with grenades and flight jackets and uh, machine guns, he's a soldier. 
You cannot call him a peacekeeper. He is a soldier. He's trained to go over there and kill and achieve objectives by killing. Not to hand out chocolate to little children. Double speak, double think. Everything is hidden by terminology changes. So simple to change the, the, the idea or the perception by changing the terminology. It's like war is peace. Freedom is slavery. All these terms that Orwell used. But yeah, they're, they're, they're going to keep the peace. If you want someone to keep the peace, you send in the Salvation Army and white flags. That's what you send in. And you can hand out hot soup or something. We'll be back with more of this after this break. Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix just uh, again I'd like to touch on a little bit of events that have led up to the present to show you where we are how we got here, who's behind it basically, where they're going with it and how they use what I call chronology to bring us all to where they want us to be chronology is a science of conning people, the confidence trickster, it's so imperative in a confidence trick uh, that uh, the victim must believe and participate in his own, his own trick. You see, he's tricked, but he must participate in it, thinking all the way that he is making his own decisions and making his own choices right to the end when he realizes he's just been ripped off. That's how a confidence trick works. You need the participation of the victim. And that's how the world is run, especially when it comes to freedom. Uh, the big boys who always shouted about freedom and equality uh, were confidence tricksters. They needed the masses to get them where they wanted to go. Once they're in power, of course, they're, they're most despicable uh, tyrants the world has ever seen in the past, a la the Soviet Union, or, or will see anywhere else in, on the planet. And they slaughter like you would not believe once they're in power. They always depopulate, always depopulate. And all those at the bottom think that help them get there think, well, they'll leave us alone because after all, we're the workers. We're the ones they're on about. They want to help us. a worker's paradise. Well, you have to go back even to the French Revolution because they weren't just chopping off the heads of nobility and people who objected to this particular new system. They were also killing off the peasantry in the different uh, areas and provinces of France. The ones they said were surplus. They always create, do that. They always go for the peasants that, that uh, can grow their food, especially the ones who may be poor by other standards but are totally self-sufficient. They slaughter them. They would put them on boats and sink them, for instance. That was a popular sport with the liberators of the working class. And in the Soviet Union, of course, we know that the same thing happened there. But 7 million died, maybe 10 million died with the first starvation because they killed off all the little peasant farmers and they, they wanted to get the state in control of farming. But the problem was they killed off pretty well anyone who knew how to do it. And then they, they went into the Ukraine, did the same kind of thing. While they were exporting the grain of the Ukraine and killing off millions by pure starvation, that's in the Soviet story. People should get that video if they can. 
uh, and that was by the orders of uh, of Stalin. That's what they're like. They're horror shows. And the people at the bottom are stunned because they can't... Well, it's, wait a minute, this whole thing was for us, wasn't it? The ones at the bottom. Oh, foolish man, eh? Oh, foolish man. That's what Weishaupt kept saying. Oh, foolish man, what can you not be made to believe? And he was talking in, the, in reference to the mystery of religion. He says, well, you need a good mystery to pull people in. That gets the members in. You never give them a truth to it or an answer to it. Just keep the mystery going. But he also said, what can you not be made to believe? It's the same thing as Lord Bertrand Russell, amazing guy, participated in all these world events to bring in this world socialist system. This guy was a hereditary lord, a British lord. And he... He was the head of so many foundations, or at least the one, the spokesman for them. You can't keep up with them all. He worked for the United Nations eventually. He worked uh, setting up the League of Nations before World War II. He went over to China to teach in universities to bring in the concept of communism. He was teaching communism before there were communists in China. During World War II, he worked for MI5 as a propagandist. You see, all, the, all those people definitely wanted rid of the Nazis with a passion. And uh, they all came together and went into MI5. Then he was back into his ban the bomb stuff. He was the head of the biggest organization for, for peace, as they called it. He advocated the Soviet system for an awful long time. Then quietened it down a bit when they found out how many people had slaughtered under the Stalin regime. They all quietened down, but they didn't stop believing in it and uh, he was also one of the heads of the, the Pugwash Foundation that came out about world peace now, they're always talking about world peace and this present bunch too are always talking about world peace will come through a, a world society under a global governance now governance means basically that you are, will be trained that you're governed uh, and to, to wean you off the idea of democracy we're post-democratic now and democracy's had its day apparently and the Club of Rome, the guys who came up with the scam of global warming because they were told to find a way to con the public and they admit it in their own book, The First Global Revolution. I've given the quote so many times from the book, I won't do it again. But they, they, they go through all of this as well, uh, the, the conology techniques and where they're going with it and all the rest of it. So do your homework, do your research, go through the archives of my shows and look up uh, the books I've mentioned for yourself. World peace will come apparently through this new system. And the, global, and the Club of Rome said too that the democracy was too cumbersome. They couldn't get done what they wanted to do. Uh, so they'd have to train the public basically uh, that uh, don't even participate. Just, be, just accept you're being ruled and be happy about it. And you know something? They've done that. That's been achieved. Most folk are really quite happy. Um, as long as they can play the internet and do their little thing, whatever they're into, uh, play as avatars in some fictional reality, watch their porn or TV, which is the same thing, and go to the pub. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. It's amazing, as I say, we live in this double-speak, double-think world, this, this Orwellian and yet going into a brave new world scenario where eventually we'll all be cloned if, if we have good enough genes, and if not, tough cheese, you're, you, well, you're down the sewage, I guess, to be recycled into good drinking water. But that's how it's going to go. And we're living through it right now. This generation doesn't have to guess, like I said at the beginning of the show, as what's planned. In the 1800s, Many of the church groups, you see, wonder and try to go through revelations and, and see if it pertained to that day and what, get an idea of what was it. How would it happen? How would all this come about? All this evil come about? We're actually living through it all, and people can't recognize it. We're living right through it. All this is it. Into this brave new world where a tiny minority will rule over the rest, live like in a standard of luxury we can't even imagine with the highest of technology while the bottom are living like utter peasants in straw huts if we're lucky that's eco-friendly you see living under straw and the people right now can't, can't believe it because it seems, it seems it's presented to them in such a way that they cannot believe that anyone would go to this trouble never mind have the power to go to all this trouble and the means to do so to fool them that's why they can't believe it and we've all been trained, as Lord Bertrand Russell says, we've all been trained to believe in experts. You just pull up an expert, and that's what they have on everything now, an expert. And the expert says, and that's it. It's like God had spoken. The new high priest, you see. And you can't, you can't refute God. Lord Moncton, who did a good job in putting out to the world the real facts of this con of global warming, and has had a lot of press was at the Copenhagen meeting and an article went out on the 19th of December from the Sonoran Weekly Review and it said Lord Moncton was assaulted to the point of unconsciousness by the Eurothug police at Copenhagen and it says it starts off uh, is the European police state going global well it is actually it says today the gloves came off and this is from Lord Moncton talking and the true purpose of the global warming scare became nakedly visible Hugo Chavez the socialist president of Venezuela blamed global warming on capitalism and received a standing ovation from very nearly all of the delegates lamentably including those from those capitalist nations of the west that are on the far left that's pretty well all of us I guess the whole, the whole world's like that now whether they know it or not <laughs> and that means too many of them Previously, Robert Mugabe, dictator of Rhodesia, who'd refused to leave office when he had been soundly defeated in a recent election, had also won plaudits at the conference for saying that the West ought to pay him plenty of money. He wants plenty of money in reparation of our supposed climate debt. See, Mr. Mugabe is con game savvy. You see, Inside the conference centre, world leader after world leader got up and postured about the need to save the planet the imperative to do a deal, the necessity to save the small island nations from drowning, etc., 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 even when they're building hotels on them now because they haven't sunk 
after 50 years of the same propaganda. And I've read articles on that in the past, too. Outside in the real world, it was snowing. And by the way, it was quite a snow over the weekend. It brought a good part of Europe, France, definitely, to a standstill. And even the trains that go under, under the channel, through the tunnel, uh, were all conking out, just packing in, because they're not used to snow. And Britain had, uh, had uh, all their, their aircrafts grounded as well. And so did some of the other countries because of this massive uh, blizzard they had and freeze-up because of global warming, you see. So it says, Obviously, the real world, it was snowing and a foretaste of the brave new world being cooked up by world leaders in their fantasy land was already evident. Some 20,000 observers from non-governmental organizations. Now, that's the new Soviet. That's the definition of the new Soviet because Soviet means ruled by councils. And in the Soviet system, the Politburo appointed the leaders of the non-governmental organizations, and there was one for every area of life and every work group as well. Uh, here, they're run by the foundations that are run by the big bankers and international corporations that own the finances of the planet. That's how they bypassed the so-called democracy. Now they have them on board to get appointed to government uh, panels as advisors. See, we are Sovietized. It says, uh, however, without warning, the United Nations had capriciously decided that all but 300 of these groups were to be excluded from the conference today, and all but 90 would be excluded on the final day. That's what they do at the United Nations because they're so democratic. You see, they want the whole world to know uh, most of the spin but only the, the real hardened leaders are in, in the, final, the final day of where they've been, where they're going, and all the rest of it. So, of course, this being the inept United Nations, no one had bothered to notify those of the non-governmental organizations that were not true believers in the UN's camp. So Senator Steve Fielding of Australia and I turned up with a few dozen other delegates to be left standing in the cold for a couple of hours while the UN laboriously worked out what to do with us. By the way, these, uh, these greeny organizations and groups, these NGOs, also get your tax money funded by your government as well. You're truly sobitized. In the end, they decided to turn us away, which they did with an ill grace and a bad-tempered manner. As soon as the decision was final, the Danish police moved in. One of them began the now familiar technique of manhandling me, this is Lord Monkton, in the same fashion as one of his colleagues had done the previous day. Once again, conscious that a police helicopter with a high-resolution camera was hovering overhead, I thrust my hands into my pockets in accordance with the St. John's Ambulance Crowd Control training, looked my assailant in the eye and told him quietly but firmly to take his hands off me. He complied, but then had another go. I told him a second time, and he let me go. But then when he turned, after I turned my back, he gave me a mighty shove that flung me to the ground and knocked me out. I came to some two, I came to, I regained consciousness some time later, not surely how long, to find my head being cradled by friends, some of whom were doing their best to keep the police thugs at bay while the volunteer ambulance men attended to me. And then he goes through, uh, what happened and so on and so on and then he talks about uh, he's going to really bring this to the top to get some justice done on this particular kind of uh, instance and he has the power to do it most folk don't have the power to get any comeback um, and uh, revenge as I would call it because revenge is a, is a natural human thing and we do have that capacity in us and if we fail to use it then the thugs just get more and more aggressive they would have revenge 
So he'll do it through the only means you have right now, which is the soft law system, the legal law system. And it's amazing, too, uh, this, uh, I keep talking about Britain being the flagship, and that's what they call it for this new world order, because the whole world order, including the United Nations uh, system, was to be modeled on the British Empire. You already had Britain with all of its colonies under control. That was to be the nucleus uh, that everything was to be built on for a new world order into a global system. Therefore, everything is spearheaded through Britain. And Britain really is the test, uh, the premier test group for trying new things on, on the public in this new world of socialism and compliance. And it says here, the Times, December 21st, 2009, Gordon Brown, now listen, this is how they put things out now in Britain. Gordon Brown calls for a new group to police global environmental issues, a global police force. A new global body dedicated to environmental stewardship, I love how they put it, stewardship, is needed to prevent a repeat of the deadlock which undermined the Copenhagen Climate Change Summit. Now here's what it says, Gordon Brown will say tomorrow. He hasn't said it yet. See, Gordon Brown is just a Fabian, and he's not a very good actor, but he's an actor nonetheless. And so the guys who write the script for him... Uh, simply hand the script to the press and they publish it before Mr. Brown goes through it. He will go through it tomorrow and he'll say all the things I'm going to say here because he's reading the same script. But he'll pause here and there for effect and uh, maybe stare down his nose at the audience once in a while for, for more effect than drama. But it's the same script. This is how farcical it all is now. Why not do away with the prime ministers and presidents and just get the guys that write the scripts to come out? We'd, we'd save some cash. It says here, the UN's consensual method of negotiation, which requires all 192 countries to reach agreement, needs to be reformed to ensure that the will of the majority prevails, he feels. He feels. The Prime Minister will say, there you are again, will say, never again should we face the deadlock that threatened to pull down those talks. And he'd wish he had this voice to speak with. Never again should we let a global deal to move towards a greener future be held by to ransom by only a handful of countries. One of the frustrations for me was a lack of a global body with the sole responsibility for environmental stewardship. So they're going to plunder and steal the planet from you and everything you have because they're now taking care of it for you. You see, that's called theft. They're calling it stewardship. Beautiful terminology, isn't it? It confuses most folk, and, and they go along with it. He says, I believe in 2010 we will need to look at reforming our international institutions to meet the common challenges we face as a global community. It's amazing, too, that people even bother voting, isn't it? When they get up there, I speak for all Britons, and, I speak, and suddenly, once they're in, here he is speaking for a global community. Folks still don't get it, do they? And then he goes through the lie. The summit failed to produce a political agreement amongst all the countries. Utter rubbish. You see, the whole Copenhagen thing was a done deal. This is a formality we went through, this, this show. And all they agreed to is the most important thing of all, to basically agree in every other treaty the Copenhagen, the next Copenhagen Treaty brings up. That's how they did it with Kyoto. Get it on the table first, agreeing to agree to all the stuff they come, and that's it. You don't have to ratify it. This is all just rammed right through. The public are out of the loop here. We're not even in the picture. 
We're not even consulted. What's this got to do with national governments and election time? Nothing. Zilch. What's it got to do with every one of us across the planet? Everything. And yet we're bypassed completely. Boy, boy, I tell you. Every tyrant in history would salivate to the technique that's used today. It says delegates instead passed a motion on Saturday taking notes of an accord drawn up on the night before by five countries, U.S., China, India, Brazil, and South Africa. Despite being the first world leader to join the summit, Mr. Brown was excluded from the key meeting where the compromise was decided. Well, if he could lick enough boots, he'd be up higher and he'd get in the bigger meeting. If he continues to sell out his own country at this rate, they might eventually let him up there if he's very, very lucky. Ed Miliband, the Climate Change Secretary, this is the guy who's more important than the Prime Minister, Lord Miliband, who's got, re- he's got re- re- relatives all through uh, the ex-Soviet Union, by the way. Here he's running Britain. He said he ran Britain when Brown was on a holiday from Rothschild Swimming Pool in France. That was in the papers. That's the, the height, the height of arrogance that these guys, the real leaders, are, are, are at today, Ed Miliband. The climate change secretary, he's, he's definitely a change agent, admitted today that the results of the Copenhagen conference were disappointing because of the absence of agreement on emissions targets or a deadline for turning the accord into a legally binding treaty. Mr. Miliband pointed the finger of blame at China for resisting a legal agreement and its rejection of a proposal for a 50% cut in global greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Efforts to give legal force to the commitments of the Copenhagen Accord came up against impossible resistance from a small number of developing countries, including China. How can they call them developing countries? China, China, apart from being the manufacturer of the planet for everything that we need today, created through GATT, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, where we all agreed, not we didn't actually, all the countries gave all their industry to China because of the cheap labor. The West trained their engineers for 30 years before they even had the factories to put them in. Lots of them came to Canada to be trained here and the States and Britain and elsewhere. Because this was planned back in the 30s. How can they call it a third world country, developing nations, when it holds the whole, all of the debt of the U.S.? Huh? Isn't it the other way around that the U.S. is now going into, into the developing or, or, or post-developed nations? We're on the way down. But again, terminology is meant to confuse you. It works with most folk. Challenged over accusations that the agreement reached in Copenhagen failed to protect poor people in developing countries, Mr. Miliband, who really cares, of course, said, the eventual outcome was disappointing, but the idea that walking away from the agreement would have been better for People facing climate change is frankly ridiculous. I think we can protect them and help those people's lives and indeed protect them from climate change through this agreement. The third world is going to be demolished even more with this lot here because they're all out for depopulation of the third worlds. Maybe Mr. Mugabe and all these boys will uh, take their big payoffs and eventually, as it's all going under, they'll skip off to some nice hot country like Idi Amin did with the protection of the British government after looting his own country and slaughtering thousands. 
It's all rigged, all rigged. And all their leaders are rigged too, across the world. And here you go. The fact is that we have got to fast start finance of $10 billion a year flowing a result of this agreement. He said it was important that countries had agreed for the need to make emission cuts, even though they'd failed to commit to specific targets. Now, they're already floating figures like 100 million, 100 billion, I should say. This is to go ultimately through the Rothschild Bank in Switzerland, their private one. I've read the article from Rothschild himself talking about it. And then it's supposed to start to not quite flow, a, a smaller, more like a, a, a dribble. It'll dribble from Rothschild's bank. It'll flow to his bank and dribble out of his bank. And a good chunk gets to the United Nations because they want global taxation so they can rise up to their phoenix-like um, status of ruling the world. And for the poor countries, it doesn't dribble. You get occasional drip, you know. That's what it's all about. It's all conology, isn't it? And we're all living through it. And here they are. Uh, future historians will have a, a gleeful time uh, going through this whole deal at Copenhagen when there's snowed in, there's a blizzard there, and everything in Europe comes to a standstill because everything's freezing. Even the trains all came to a standstill. Utter farce, isn't it? But mind you, farce will, will win out in the end if you keep repeating the lies often enough. And there's no end to that. No end to that. They have whole think tanks coming up with next year's lies. They're probably all written already. Boy, oh boy, they want us to die off quicker. Videos may aid end-of-life care decisions. This is a new Obama system coming in. Back with more after this break. through the matrix. I should mention here that, that Miliband is not a lord yet. He will eventually get his lordship. It, it was the other one, uh, Mandelson, or Mendelssohn, that's got the lordship now, the one who run Britain from the swimming pool, according to the British newspapers, while Brown was off on holiday. Which, why bother have parliament anymore? I mean, just have a swimming pool. That's all you need to be cheaper, too. You keep one guy going in a swimming pool that's heated than, than a whole parliament of yes-men. Mind you, they're friends. They're a lot more in common than, than just uh, where they stand on things. This article here says, Videos may aid end-of-life care decisions. Thursday, December 17, 2009. Uh, it's from Reuters. And it's from the health page. It says, uh, New York it says, Videos that depict different options for end-of-life care may help terminally ill cancer patients decide on what they want. A new study suggests, I love how they word stuff, everything suggests things now. And it goes through this research, says that only a minority of cancer patients complete documents on advanced care planning, and that even when doctors and patients have discussions on end-of-life care, I wonder if they really do. I mean, generally they don't. It depends who you are, doesn't it? If you're somebody or nobody. Anyways, it says poor communication and patients' lack of medical knowledge remain significant obstacles. And then it goes through the study where they show them videos on how to choose, basically. That's the idea. Uh, so it's, a, it's called a supplemental video to end-of-life discussion. 
It says it helps surmount some of these barriers, said Volandes, Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. So they had a study uh, and they assigned 50 patients with malignant uh, glioma, a form of brain cancer with typically poor prognosis, to one of two groups. Patients in one group were given only verbal descriptions of their options for care once the cancer had become very advanced, while those in the other group also watched a video. This is right along the lines of the RAND um, uh, document I have here they did for the U.S. government to see where they cut all health care down to the bare bones. So that's like Britain, uh, because the U.N. says you'll get the most minimal health care across the world. Well, here we go. So the video depicted images of three general choices for end-of-life care. One was long prolo- life-prolonging care, which aims to extend patients' lives at all costs, for that's for the very wealthy, depending on your status in the community, are you necessary to the society? I'm adding what, what they're not telling you here, uh, including uh, giving cardiopulmonary resuscitation for cardiac arrest and using medical ventilators when patients can no longer breathe on their own. The second, the medium option, was basic medical care, which includes antibiotics to treat infections and hospitalization if needed, but no extraordinary measures to save the patient's life. The third option, which of course is a cheaper option, is comfort care. Sounds good, comfort, you see, where patients are given pain medication, supplemental oxygen, and other measures to make them comfortable in their last days. It means to change your linen. This is usually outside of a hospital and often at home. So they're going into this new system, getting the public trained to a new system of exiting the world. And it all sounds rather wonderful. Comfort care. Comfort sounds nice. It's a nice fuzzy word. It's like the word social. Social in itself is nice, but then you say socialism. And ism means doctrine. And of course you say, well, I didn't know it was a doctrine to social. You see? Or communism and all that kind of ism stuff. Well, that's it from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, where it's about 12 to 15 below freezing. From, so from Hamish and myself in Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.